Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 33, and we're reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Exodus 9, Leviticus 7, and Psalms 49. Exodus 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it, and all the livestock of the Egyptians died. But not one animal belonged to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on the people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, Let my people go, so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt, from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to the place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their lives, their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky so that the hail will fall all over Egypt, on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. 
The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I, my people, are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. The flax and the barley were destroyed. Since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom, the wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hand toward the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Leviticus 7. These are the regulations for the guilt offering, which is most holy. The guilt offering is to be slaughtered in the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered, and its blood is to be splashed against the sides of the altar. All its fat shall be offered, the fat tail and the fat that covers the internal organs, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver, which is to be removed with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Any male in a priest's family may eat, but it must be eaten in the sanctuary area. It is most holy. The same law applies to both the sin offering and the guilt offering. They belong to the priests who make atonement with them. The priest who offers a burnt offering for anyone may keep its hide for himself. Every grain offering baked in an oven or cooked in a pan or on a griddle belongs to the priest who offers it. And every grain offering, whether mixed with olive oil or dry, belongs equally to all the sons of Aaron. These are the regulations for the fellowship offering anyone may present to the Lord. If they offer it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, they are to offer thick loaves made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in. Thin loaves made without yeast and brushed with oil and thick loaves of the finest flour well kneaded and with oil mixed in. Along with their fellowship offering of thanksgiving, they are to present an offering with thick loaves of bread made with yeast. They are to bring one of each kind as an offering, a contribution to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who splashes the blood of the fellowship offering against the altar. The meat of their fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. They must leave none of it till morning. If, however, their offering is the result of a vow or is a free will offering, the sacrifice shall be eaten on that day they are offering it. But anything left over may be eaten on the next day. Any meat of the sacrifice left over till the third day must be burned up. If any meat of the fellowship offering is eaten on the third day, the one who offered it will not be accepted. It will not be reckoned to their credit, for it has become impure. The people who eats any of it will be held responsible. Meat that touches anything ceremonially unclean must not be eaten. It must be burned up. As for other meat, anyone ceremonially clean may eat it. But if anyone who is unclean eats any meat of the fellowship offering belonging to the Lord, they must be cut off from the people. Anyone who touches something unclean, whether human uncleanness or an unclean animal or any unclear creature that moves along the ground and then eats any of the meat of the fellowship offering, belongs to the Lord, must be cut off from their people. 
the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Do not eat any of the fat of cattle, sheep, or goats. The fat of an animal found dead or torn by wild animals may be used for any other purpose, but you must not eat it. And anyone who eats the fat of an animal from which a food offering may be presented to the Lord must be cut off from their people. And wherever you live, you must not eat the blood of any bird or animal. Anyone who eats blood must be cut off from their people. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Anyone who brings a fellowship offering to the Lord is to bring part of it as their sacrifice to the Lord. With their own hands they are to present the food offering to the Lord. They are to bring the fat together with the breast and wave the breast before the Lord as a wave offering. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast belongs to Aaron and his sons. You are to give the right thigh of your fellowship offering to the priest as a contribution. The son of Aaron who offer the blood and the fat of the fellowship offering shall have the right thigh as his share. From the fellowship offering of the Israelites, I have taken the breast that is waved and the thigh that is presented and have given them to Aaron, the priest, and his sons as their perpetual share from the Israelites. This is the portion of the food offering presented to the Lord that were allotted to Aaron and his sons on the day they were presented to serve the Lord as priest. On the day they were atoned, the Lord commanded that the Israelites give this to them as their perpetual share for the generations to come. These, then, are the regulations for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the ordination offering, and the fellowship offering, which the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai in the desert of Sinai on the day he commanded the Israelites to bring their offering to the Lord. Psalms 49. Hear this, all you peoples, listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike, my mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough, so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named land after themselves. People despise their wealth do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their form will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their homes increases. For they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. Okay, so not going to lie. Exodus and Leviticus, second week in this, right? They're hard to read and even harder to understand. I think many give up reading the Bible somewhere around here. I know I have abandoned reading the entire Bible right around here many times in the past. It wasn't until I was exposed to Old Testament biblical scholars like Dr. Carmen Imes, Dr. Tim Mackey, John Collins, Jeff Cavins, and priests like Father Mike Schmitz that, that gave this, told and spoke about these stories and acknowledged that they're really uncomfortable. 
In my mind, they if they think it's uncomfortable, which Dr. Tim Mackey does see as not something that's heretical to say it's uncomfortable, but rather a truth about how these stories can make us feel at times. The point being, wrestling and being uncomfortable are okay. And I encourage you, as I encourage me, to keep reading, praying for the Holy Spirit to guide me, you, in discernment, and to be okay with putting a pin in some things that are difficult to understand, for now, and leaning into our relationship with a just God who is wisdom itself and is making every effort in this story to restore and redeem. Exodus is actually an amazing story of how God can use even the most archetypical villain, Pharaoh, to return evil back on itself. For me, I relate this back to the story of Noah and the flood in Genesis. In that story, God appointed Noah for the preservation of creation and the story that was unfolding. God did not instruct Noah to invite or confront anyone outside of his family. God also did not tell Noah to not allow them to come. But in that story, God did not confront any nefarious leader. In this story, God is directly confronting the villain in the story and showing both him, the Egyptians, and the Israelites together who he is through Moses and Aaron, bringing his signs and wonders, which I think is really interesting, and it's something different. Exodus is a foundation story, which is really important for the storyline in the Bible, where we are being drawn into our need for a savior. In a way that the story of Noah and the flood or any other story we have read thus far, it just hasn't put a spotlight on it quite in the, quite the same way. Our need for Jesus is becoming clearer. When God said death, in quotes, was the penalty for sin in Genesis 3, we are now seeing more clearly what the cost of sin is. While we put God in these sinful situations, where even his justice might look messy to us, at the same time, we are seeing God's mercy as he provided a way out. For me, it's really cool to see. Dr. Carmen Imes talks about the relationship between creation and covenant in her her, um, Exodus class on the Bible Project. She describes how we often see these as separate, but there is a case made by Dr. John Walton, Dr. Tim Mackey, and John Collins that Genesis 1 is a creation story that ends in a temple, which is framed as a covenant relationship to God in Genesis 2. And remember how in Genesis 1 verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over disorder, like land and dark dark abyss of water, if you remember. Perhaps decreation is a part of the creation process, and the creation process leads towards the covenantal relationship and a temple where God can dwell with us, and he's the one that makes that transition. Dr. Imes describes how this interpretation maps onto the Exodus story really well, in the sense that we are reading about the decreation of Egypt but also the creation of the nation of Israel that will head towards a covenantal relationship and a temple. Also interesting, in the last story, Exodus 8, we saw the last of the plagues um, that the magicians were able to emulate, which was the gnats. Um, It was at the point of the gnats that they were like, "Mm, we can't replicate this, and there's something more going on here. Now, an interesting aside to think about is, were these magicians more like charlatans playing tricks, like we know magicians do today? Or did they have access to some sort of darker power? Hmm, don't know. In any case, they conceded that something greater was going on here. And also, we read in this story about... Um, Pharaoh having a hard heart, and in one in one application, it said that the Lord 
um, made Pharaoh's heart hard. And we spoke about this in the last session, if you want to reference back to that, if you're just joining us, right? And um, that's really something hard to wrestle with. But I think I think the, the pretty clear conclusion, there's no other place in the Bible that puts it quite as intense in this way. But in my opinion, there's no, there's no evidence that God took uh, his permissive will away as the Pharaoh. And I think Father Mike Schmitz gives us beautiful and powerful illustration that I think I titled the last show as. And something to keep in mind is he gave us permissive will over our hearts. He gave us a portion of his power and authority. And if you think about it, if we decide to have a soft heart like candle wax in the presence of the sun, it melts. But if we decide to allow our hearts to be firmer, to be harder, then it's like clay. And in the presence of the sun, it actually gets harder. So it kind of depends on, there's so many complicated things going on here, but I feel like that for me gives this really cool illustrative example that God also is outside of time. So he knows the choices that we're going to make. So in any case, I don't think it means that God is like manipulating or using Pharaoh as a puppet. He um, knows the state of Pharaoh's heart, and that's what we're reading here. And as John Collins says in his introduction to Leviticus Q&R on the Bible Project, Leviticus is one of the strangest and hardest to read books in the Bible. I don't know if you feel that way, but I do too. (laughs) Dr. Tim Mackey describes reading Leviticus like, like reading or needing to eat your vegetables. It's not always the funnest thing, but it's important and it's good for us to build healthy bones or healthy spiritual bones. The part that makes it particularly difficult is the cultural distance, I think. And um, Dr. Tim Mackey really helped to frame this well. So Leviticus 1 through 7 is about rituals and sacrifice. While it all seems strange, we can relate to the concept of ritual as Dr. Tim Mackey compares taking our sin in animal sacrifice rituals to taking our trash out in receptacles in a way. We do not want sin in the places we live and dwell. It stinks and it's gross. Likewise, God does not want our sin in the places he wants to dwell with us, and he is making a way for us to put our sin onto something else and giving it to him to permanently take it away from us. And while animal sacrifice is really quite overwhelming, to me at least, to read about, I have to remember what sacrifice is for, which is atonement for sins, to deal and to erase, to provide forgiveness for sins, because sin put us into a type of debt that must be paid. There is so much culture to consider and carefully navigate how God is making himself known in, through, and despite the culture, and how God is not universally condemning or condoning the culture or people, but instead he's making it clear that we are in need of atonement in that culture and their way in a way they can understand, and that there is a high cost, and we can see it in their world and in ours, in order for our relationship to be restored and redeemed to a place where God can dwell with us, which is his heart. He clearly desires to come close to us, to care for us, to give us a portion of his power and authority, to reflect him, to bear his name, to be a blessing to others. Leviticus 7 is the last chapter on atonement. Next, we will be reading about holiness and the outward working of a holiness, which I will relate to being a brand ambassador for God in chapters 8 to 17. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.